2: Oh, hello! Welcome along to yet another edition of Outer Boy Clarence. Yes, you're getting another one. <laughs> Let's face it, the more distractions we have right now, the better. Yes, I'm going to be pumping out as many of these things as I can manage over the next few weeks. You're going to be sick of me very soon. But I figure that while we're all self isolating and twiddling our thumbs, we can at least keep each other company remotely, right? With that in mind, I've had an idea that I think might be fun, so I'll tell you about that later on in the show. I've got a couple of movies to tell you about today, some old-time radio to entertain you, and some music, of course. First up is Mr Bing Crosby, with a very timely message for all of us.
1: You've got to accentuate the positive live. Mind it to negative latch on to the affirmative Don't mess with Mr. in between You got to spread joy up to the maximum bring gloom down to the minimum have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene
0: To illustrate his last remark Jonah in the whale Noah in the ark what did
1: they do just when everything looked so dark? Man, they said we better accentuate the positive, e-limb, it the negative, latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. No, do not mess with Mr. In-Between. Do you hear them? Chillin', Anna. You will hear about the eliminating of the negative and an accent on a positive. Gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doing right. You gotta accentuate the positive feeling. I need the
0: negative Latch on to the affirmative Don't mess with
1: Mr. In-Between got to spread jar Up to the maximum Bring glue Down Down to the minimum minimum Otherwise And the podium Liable to walk upon the scene. to illustrate, well, illustrate my last remark, you got the Jonah, Jonah in the well, Noah in the yacht. What did they say? What did they say? say when everything looks so dark? Man, they said we better accentuate
2: <laughs> the positive, eliminate
1: the negative. That's Sean to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In. No,
2: don't mess with Mr. And that was Bing Crosby with Accentuate the Positive, I heartily agree, old son. Let's hop straight into a movie, shall we? Scandal is afoot in 1934's Dr. Monica, starring Kay Francis, Warren William and Gene Muir. Of saying that name.
0: Why will these babies inevitably attempt to struggle into the world just at cocktail time?
3: No, really? Do they? Shall we have one? Hey, one, one.
0: A cocktail. Oh. <laughs> Why, Mr. Pettinger. <Petty-Ell. laughs>
2: yes, this is a film very much about babies. Kay Francis plays Dr. Monica Brayden, a renowned obstetrician who's happily married to writer John Brayden, played by Warren Williams. They're both at the top of their professions and the darlings of the New York social set. In fact, the only thing that Monica and John don't have are children. Yes, they're both desperate to have kids of their own, but Monica is unable to conceive.
0: Larry, did you hear? John's going abroad. How long? Six months anyway. I haven't told him yet, but I can't leave my work for that long. Hardly. Besides, you know, I've never been able to have a baby. While he's away, I think I'm going to go into the hospital and do a be done about it. splendid. I think I'm entitled to one, don't you? After all the babies I've slapped the breath into for other people.
2: (laughs) But beneath this almost perfect couple is another fracture. It seems that dear old John has a secret of his own. He's been having an affair for some time with Monica's friend, Mary, played by Jean Muir.
1: Now I want you
3: to snap out of it, my dear. I want you to forget me.
0: John, I love you so much. Right or wrong, nothing matters. In the beginning, I think it was that way with you, too. Then you found out that it was really Monica. I'm glad for her sake.
2: And to add to their mountain of woes, John's only gotten Mary pregnant. Yes, she's up the duff, all right. And who do you think's going to deliver the baby? Well, only Dr. Monica. What a storm!
0: What's the matter? Monica! The man is John. Why, the little...
1: Doctor, it's time. I'll move her in.
0: Yes, move her in. Wait a moment. Get another doctor.
2: Talk about your overwrought melodramas centred around faithless husbands who can't keep it in their pants. What a situation.
0: You'd better call someone else. She's your patient. Right now, her life and reputation are in your hands. Do you think I'd touch her? You're going upstairs. I'd kill her. I have the right. You lie. That woman upstairs is nothing to you but a patient. A
2: doctor under oath to deliver her child. I do love the soap opera ossity of this movie, and it's quite representative of what I love about old movies in general, really. No bells or whistles or special effects. You just find the human story at the heart of a dilemma. You let some stars do their thing. You dress them in the most exquisite clothes and put them in the most exquisite rooms in the world. What a formula! This is definitely one of the most glamorous movies ever made. Surprising, really, as Warner Brothers were known for their thrifty movie making. This looks like the kind of A-list opulence being pumped out at MGM. And I was glued to the story. Absolutely glued to it. I could not look away. It helps that it's only 65 minutes long, so we hardly stop for breath. It's just straight into the plot and bang, bang, bang all the way to the end. Have to say... I had a few problems with the ending. In terms of morality, I think it has issues. I won't spoil what happens, but I was left with a real sense of injustice. I can kind of see what they were going for. I mean, this is one of the most selfless films I've ever seen. This is just one selfless act after another. There's a lot of noble people in this. I got to the halfway mark and I could not, for the life of me, work out... How it was going to end. Who was going to be the noblest one of all. This is pre-code as well. So we weren't at the point where cinema had to play by the rules. It could have gone any way it wanted to. The way it ultimately chose to end. I think is right. In lots of ways, but horribly unfair in lots of others. Certain characters are kept in the dark about what's really happened. Someone has disappeared into the sunset, quite literally. And love has seemingly triumphed over all. I don't know whether I'm happy about the ending, though, or deeply sad about the ending. But, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's nice not to get a pat ending this time with all loose ends tied neatly up. Maybe it's the fact that my sensibilities are so brainwashed by the golden age's formula by now that when a movie like Dr. Monica comes along and upends them all, my tiny brain just can't accept it somehow. Watch Dr. Monica and tell me what you think. If nothing else, it's a thought-provoking little soap opera that's high on glamour and bursting at the seams with star power.
0: yippee
1: I got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle.
0: Jingle, jangle.
1: As I go riding merrily along. Jingle, jangle. And they sing, Oh, ain't you glad you're single?
0: Jingle, jangle.
1: And that song ain't so very far from wrong. Jingle, oh, Lily Bear. Oh, Lily
0: Bear. Oh, Lily Bell. Oh, Lily Bell. I may have done some fooling. this is why I never
1: fell. Cause I got spurs, that jingle jangle jingle,
0: jingle
1: jangle, as I go right
0: merrily along. Jingle jangle, they sing, oh ain't you glad you're single, jingle jangle, and that song ain't so very far from wrong.
1: And
3: they
0: sing, oh, ain't you glad? And that song ain't so very far from wrong. And that song ain't so very far from wrong.
2: And that was Jingle, Jangle, Jingle by Kai Kaiser, I think. Might be Jingle, Jungle, jangle, or perhaps Jungle, anyway. Watched a lovely film a while back, and I've been dying to tell you all about it. 1938's Mannequin starring Joan Crawford, Spencer Tracy, and Alan Curtis. Hands up if you thought I meant mannequin from 1987 with Kim Cattrall and Andrew McCarthy. kind of wish I was talking about that particular classic about an Egyptian princess who gets zapped into a mannequin's body. 1938's mannequin isn't as zany, but it is several times as charming, and the script is an absolute winner we follow the life and loves of Jessie Cassidy, played by Joan Crawford, of course, a tenement beauty who longs to escape the rat hole that she and her family exist in and make something of herself.
0: Oh, here I forgot. It's Saturday again. Oh, thanks. Reminds me, it must that gas bill. The potato's done? Perhaps. Uh-huh. Gas bill? Did I say gas bill? That gas bill should have been paid last week. I know. You gave the money to him. No, I didn't. That is not all of it. Then you gave part of it to Clifford. You mustn't be too hard on your brother, Jesse. He hasn't been able to find a job. Because he doesn't want to find a job. And why should he, when he can get enough quarters and dimes out of my salary to throw around that pool room? Now, Jesse. I'm getting sick of it.
2: So, how does she do it? Why, she becomes a mannequin, of course, in a trendy New York department store, only coming to life in the presence of a window dresser played by Andrew McCarthy. Hang on. No, wait. So Jessie makes something of herself by falling in love with up-and-coming fight promoter Eddie Miller, played by Alan Curtis, who whisks Jessie away from her life of drudgery and into a swanky New York apartment. How about it, kid?
0: Eddie.
2: Huh? Now what's the (laughs) matter?
0: Eddie, why am I crying? There's nothing in the world I want that I haven't got right now.
2: Along the way, Jesse and Eddie meet millionaire businessman John L. Hennessy, played by Spencer Tracy, a man who pulled himself up by the bootstraps and turned himself into a big city business magnate. He falls head over heels with Jesse from the first moment he lays eyes on her, but she only has eyes for her husband, Eddie.
1: I did the wrong thing, didn't I? So did you. By going to your silly party. You must learn to handle situations like that more elegantly. Always leave the man holding the bag.
0: I like my way best.
1: You really don't blame me for kissing you, do you?
0: What do you think that slap was, a distinguished
1: service cross? Well, what I mean is you you were beginning to add up into something that a man wants. And all that talk about the things you've got and what you do to keep them. Well, you put that with what you offer to the naked eye and... Uh, well, can you blame a man?
0: Yes, and I'm still glad I slugged you.
2: It soon transpires, however, that Eddie isn't all he's been making himself out to be. In fact, Jessie's new life may be slightly more squalid than her older one. After a series of mishaps, Jessie is forced to go to John Hennessy and ask for help in order to salvage her crumbling marriage.
0: Mr. Hennessy, something has happened, and I've got to have a hundred dollars. Aren't you even gonna ask me what it's for? No.
2: Now, I won't tell you anything else because it really is a better idea to watch what happens for yourself. I will say that the synopsis I've provided you with may well make you believe that the story will go in a certain direction. But I can tell you that it will very much surprise you. The first ace this film has up its sleeve is the script. The script is incredible. The dialogue between characters is a perfect blend of 1930s anachronisms and lightning to and froze that doesn't feel as dated as some of the other contemporary movies of this period. I mean, some of the hokey dialogue in films like Angels with Dirty Faces from the same year make you face palm. This doesn't have that problem. In fact, I go so far as to say that the writing in this thing is damn near perfect. Kim Cattrall is incredible, too. Uh, sorry. Joan Crawford is incredible, so you definitely have a preconception about her when you see her name in a movie. She'll confound you slightly in this. When you see her making dinner in her tenement block or taking off her cheap hat in her rat trap of an apartment and trying to find the will to smile to her no-good lover in order to cheer him up even though she's at the end of her rope. Or when she slips into mannequin mode later in the film, you really do see Joan Crawford vanish and Jesse Cassidy appear. She has a real fire in her belly, but a lovely tender side that's desperate to be loved. This, for me, is one of the best roles I've seen her in. There's a beautiful scene at the 50-minute mark where she's making dinner with her mother and they both realise that Jessie is destined to live out her days in squalor, much like her mother has done. And it is heartbreaking and devastatingly well-written.
3: You're a woman, Jess. You want to have some say about the life you live? Well, we're made that way, usually. A woman's weakness is supposed to fit into a
1: man's strength. Her respect pays for the security a man gives her.
0: That's with most women. Your father doesn't like his potatoes with the jackets on. But not you, Jessica. You've got strength of your own. You can do things, not just dream about them like, like most women.
2: Leo Gorsi, as Jesse's younger brother, really chews up the scenery. You get some classic Gorsi quips here.
0: Hiya, Dynamite. Stepping out with the big fight manager, huh? Am I laughing?
2: (laughs) Well, shut up your laughing.
0: Good night. You needn't be in a hurry to duck. That guy won't be around for an hour yet. Scale us a hunk of bread, will you, Ma? Who won't be around? That ham and eggy you go out with. Tell me to tell you. What a fake that guy is. I hope you grow up to be the same kind of fake he is, Clifford Cassidy. You might amount to something. I ain't saying anything about the guy, am I? Except these old laminates that's
2: all. That'll be all out of you, young man.
0: what I say? Everybody knows Eddie Miller's a false alarm. That ain't no secret.
2: And Spencer Tracy is wonderful as the downtown boy who's fought his way up to the top. You really do feel that heart of gold shining through, even though essentially his is a story about a man who covets another man's wife. There are scenes in this film that redefine what heroism means. Whether it's silently fishing in his pocket for $100, or watching as Jesse leaves him yet again, or comically trying to pick up Jesse at a fashion show, it's a brilliant performance and a reminder that heroes don't always brandish swords and shields. I can't say enough good things about this. It was a genuine surprise, a real slice of life, held together by an impeccable script and a brace of lead performances for the ages. Do seek out 1938's Mannequin. In fact, screw it, let's review 1987's Mannequin 2. I used to love this film when I was a kid. I think most of the attraction was due to Kim Cattrall, who for a 10-year-old Adam held the lofty position of number one on my list of crushes tied for first place with Sharon Stone in King Solomon's Mines number two was Kate Capshaw in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom I definitely had a type at that age so anyway this was a film I watched many many times mouth agog at Kim Cattrall's beauty and wishing that I could find a job as a window dresser in a department store yes such is the power of mannequin that it makes you long to be a window dresser The plot revolves around ancient Egyptian princess, Emmy, who's desperate to escape her arranged marriage and who prays to the gods for some kind of escape route.
0: Mother, I don't want to settle down. I want to do things, I want to invent things, I want to try things that nobody's ever tried before.
1: I want to fly. Sure, and I want to smoke and tell your father to go to hell. Mm. Oh, Emmy, Emmy. No, 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 these are the times we live in. Mother, there's got to be a better way. Please, gods, please help me find it. Sure, sure, the Nile is overflowing. There is a weak shortage. The pharaoh has hemorrhoids. The gods have bigger things to worry about than you.
2: Her prayer is answered and she's zapped to 1987. In a cruel twist of fate, though, she's hurtled into the body of a shop dummy and can only come to life when she's alone with the window dresser who works there, Jonathan Switcher. Played by Andrew McCarthy. What a funny way to say hello. What
0: the hell's going on? My name is Emma Hesinrae, but you can call me Emmy. <laughs> this is a joke, right? Some sort of prince and company initiation? Who hired you? Hollywood. Nobody hired me, Jonathan. You know who I am. No, this can't be
2: happening. Creepy as all get out, Jonathan fell in love with her when she was an inanimate dummy. And so when she suddenly comes to life and has a sense of humour and could dress herself and move and everything, he falls even more in love with her, because who wouldn't? Hijinks ensue, partly through Jonathan's new best friend, flamboyant window dresser. Yes, everyone in this film is a bloody window dresser. Hollywood Montrose. The threat comes in the form of security guard Captain Maxwell, played by the great G.W. Bailey the man who kept sticking his head into horses' holes in the Police Academy movies. You can fool Rambo, but it won't work with me, Switcher. My brain is quicker than a... Funny, isn't it, how a movie can seem so good to you when you're young, and then when you see it again in your more mature years? What can I say about it, honestly? It's about a man who wants to have sex with a shop dummy. I mean, thank God she comes to life, because that could have been a way darker film if she hadn't. I mean, I still have a crush on Kim Cattrall, and I like the song. But oh, Mannequin from 1987, you really are a turd these days. How I wish I could go back to the innocent days of watching a film and not noticing how bad it is. You can tell how bad it is from the cartoon credits at the beginning. No film should ever end on a freeze frame. I mean, come on, Mannequin from 1987, at least try a little bit. There's a man who wears piano glasses in it, too. Okay, that'll do. Well, for your radio entertainment today, a trip out into star-studded Hollywood land. A radio engagement with one of today's stars, Miss Joan Crawford, who appears in the Screen Guild Theatre's play entitled None Shall Part Us, starring Joan herself, alongside Lou Ayres, Ronald Coleman, and Montague Love. It's glossy, all right. So I'll leave you in the company of those guys, and I'll see you in half an hour.
3: Good evening, everybody. Your neighborhood good Gulf dealer and the Gulf Oil Companies again welcome you to the Gulf Screen Guild Theater. And tonight, as usual, we have more of your favorite stars. Joan Crawford, Lou Ayers, Ronald Coleman, Montague Love, and, of course, Oscar Bradley and his Gulf Orchestra. And incidentally, Ronnie Coleman is the subject of a mild rib today. It seems the day after he finished making the light that failed for Paramount, Ronnie was strolling in his garden when he heard an automobile horn blow at his gate saw a car just like that of a friend of his, hopped over the fence, threw open the car door, and sat down. (laughs) Then suddenly realized he was sitting right between two tourists. I I don't know who was the more surprised, Ronnie or the visiting fireman. You know, both Joan Crawford and Lou Ayers have been working almost day and night the past week, Yet, yet both of them gave up what spare time they had in order to rehearse for their appearance here in the Gulf Theater tonight. That's because the Gulf Theater is really the star's own theater. For every single cent of the money that Gulf would ordinarily give to the stars who appear here is given instead to meet the needs of the Motion Picture Relief Fund and to build a home for those members of the picture industry who can no longer provide for themselves. And now the lights are beginning to dim, so on with the show. Tonight we bring you a play written by Leonard Spiegelgass and called None Shall Part Us. <laughs> Our play opens in Paris, the month of September, the year 1937. It tells the story of four people, Sarah Farrington, played by Joan Crawford, Michael Farrington, who's Lou Ayers, Captain Alan Harcourt, personated by Ronald Coleman, and Sir George Packman, played by Montague Love. It's early evening. And in a small cafe, we first meet Sarah and Michael. And now as stage manager, I called for lights. Music. curtain.
0: Your health, Mrs. Farrington. Oh, no, it's my turn to toast. Here's to the curé who married us. By the way, darling, did you notice he had tears in his eyes when we left?
3: Mm-hmm. Only the old boy wasn't crying over us. Those were tears of gratitude for the fee I slipped.
0: Oh, Michael.
3: That's a fact. Listen. That's my favorite song.
0: Isn't it the love song from Ireland,
3: Yes. Remember? None shall part us from each other. Look, let's get the car and, and drive up to Sacre Cœur. From there, we can look down on the whole of Paris. And we'll wave goodbye and drive on until a road sign says welcome to Italy or Algiers or or Tibet or wherever we have to stop for gas. Then we'll... Hello, Farrington. What? Oh, oh, hello, Harcourt. I thought I'd find you in Paris. We just missed each other in Rome and Vienna. Yes, by only a few moments. What a pity. Well, you know me, always on the go. Oh, I'm sorry. You haven't met my wife captain. Your wife? Yes, we were married this afternoon. Sarah, darling, this is a very old friend of mine, Captain Alan Harkett.
0: How do you do, Captain Harkett?
3: How do you do? Oh, haven't we met somewhere before?
0: London? Sussex? Packman House. Of
3: course. You're Sir George Packman's daughter. (laughs) You see, Sarah, you can't keep anything from Harkett. He never forgets a face.
0: Oh, for a moment I thought I might have made a very special impression.
3: As a matter of fact, you did. Uh, I wonder if I might take your husband away for a few minutes. There's something important I'd like to discuss with him. You aren't by any chance referring to that business in London? That's right. I thought you'd know what it was.
0: Oh, no business now, Michael, please. You see, my my wife and
3: I were planning a sort of moratorium on uh, everyday affairs. I hoped we could take the Dover boat tonight. We'd be in London tomorrow morning.
0: So be to Dover boat tonight. London tomorrow. Oh, that's ridiculous, Captain Harcourt. Michael and I are driving up to Sacre in the moonlight. And then on to Italy, Algiers, and Tibet. And we're never coming back to reality, are we, darling?
3: Doesn't seem to be holding us up, Mrs. Barrington. We should sight the coast in an hour.
0: Oh, I wish we weren't going there. Why did you let Captain Harker talk you into it, Michael?
3: Mm, the captain can be very persuasive. He practically never loses an argument. Tell me, when did you and Michael meet? <laughs> on Wednesday last. It was a whole
0: week before we decided to get married.
3: <laughs> One of the longest engagements on record. <laughs> Have you written your father the good news, Mrs. Farrington? No, I'm saving Michael for surprise. Sort of look what I've brought back from Paris.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And I know he'll find Michael as charming as I do.
3: I hope so. Oh, why, I'll be wearing a top hat to cover my uh, horns.
0: I planned a cable, Father, when we knew where we were going, but I never thought it would be Dover.
3: But I'll tell you what, Darling. You give me ten minutes alone with Hawkett, and, and perhaps I, I can talk him out of this nonsense.
0: All right. I'll go down and inspect our luxurious stateroom. I don't think anyone's been in it since Mary, Queen of Scots.
3: Now, Hawkett, let's be ourselves. I suppose I should be flattered that they finally set you on my trail. Makes me almost an international crisis. When are you going to tell her, Farrington? You know I can't tell must be some other way. There's no other way. Then why didn't you come right out with it instead of pretending you were an old friend? Would you have liked me to? No. No, it's got to come from you. Uh, I'll admit to an occasional robbery, but you'll have to prove the murder. I know, I know, but there was murder and you're going to hang for it. It's one thing to be a gentleman thief playing ducks and drakes with the police, but why get a girl, a girl like Sarah, into this mess? Uh, My luck failed me, that's all i had been in the clear by now. If it hadn't been for you, you'll have to tell her as soon as she's come back. All right, all right, Hawk. Let me have a cigarette, will you? There you are. Light, please.
0: You.
3: you, this won't help you, Fannington. Let that gun drop, or I'll break your arm. That's the ticket. Now stand over there. You can't get off the boat. I can if I dispose of you. My dear friend, Captain Harkett lost at sea. Most unfortunate.
0: I couldn't stay any longer. I just. Why, oh, Michael, what on earth are you doing with that gun?
3: Gun? Oh, uh, it belongs to Harkett.
0: Oh, I hate guns.
3: He was just showing it. Well, to give
0: him. it back. No, well, Sarah, I, I, uh... well, Before it goes off or something. Come on.
3: Thank you, Farrington.
0: Did you settle anything while I was away?
3: No. No, darling. Harkett seems absolutely set on our going to London. Seems I'm fated to be the villain, Mrs. Farrington.
0: Well, I suppose we'll just have to make the best of it, won't we? Yes,
3: I guess we will. Well, let's have a celebration anyway. Let's let's celebrate Harkett's unfailing good health.
0: Done everything I think we'll take a place near the sea but we wouldn't want to stay there all the time would we Michael
3: why not with the whole world to stretch our legs in more champagne Hawkett? no thanks I've had quite enough darling you know we haven't been fair to Harkett
0: why what do you mean
3: you know, he's never seen you in that blue dress the one you were wearing the day we met makes your eyes as blue as the lakes at twilight then indeed you haven't been fair to me Please put it on.
0: Now? <laughs> but Michael is so late. I
3: know, but somehow I, I want to remember this funny little cabin. And, and you, looking so beautiful, everyone envied me.
0: <laughs> All right, darling. I won't be long. If you and Captain Harkett will go up on deck.
3: Sarah, yes. what you going to? Kiss me? Goodbye? But I'll
0: only be gone five minutes.
3: <laughs> you don't know how long five minutes can be. There. We'll meet you at the top of the stairs. Goodbye, darling.
0: Goodbye.
3: After you, Hargut. Well, there isn't much time for a compromise. Compromise? What kind of game are you playing now? Look, you're taking me back to hang. I can give you the same results with far less trouble. What are you talking about? I'm asking permission to die, but in my own way. You haven't that choice, neither of us. I'm not asking for myself, you know that. I would keep my wife out of it. Yes, I've already thought of that. Will but... the law be overly cheated if we let Sarah think I was a, a reckless young man who simply drank too much wine and fell into the channel? Ah, that appeals to you as a grand gesture. But you haven't the courage for it. Hmm? Well, every man likes to believe he's brave. I think I'll take a turn around the deck. Care to come along? No, thanks. No, I'll be here when Sarah gets back.
0: Michael! Michael!
3: Over here by the rail, Mrs. Farrington.
0: Oh. Oh, where's Michael?
3: He'll be back directly. Why are you trembling? Is anything wrong?
0: I, I don't know. While I was dressing, I thought I heard Michael call me. Well,
3: you couldn't have. He was here with me until a moment ago. Listen. What?
0: Didn't you hear?
3: I heard the foghorn.
0: But the music, didn't you hear that?
3: No. No music.
0: It sounded just like that song we were talking about.
3: What, Iolanti?
0: Yes, our song. Michael's in mine. Do you know
3: it? Oh, yes. None shall part us from each other. Isn't that how it goes? One in life and love are we?
0: Yes. Didn't you hear it that time?
3: It's only your imagination.
0: I guess I'm hearing things. Uh, Are you sure Michael said he'd come back here?
3: Quite sure. Now, you're getting yourself upset over nothing.
0: Yes, I... Yes, I suppose I am. But if you knew how much I love him. How empty my whole life would be. What was that they shouted?
3: Some command. But
0: didn't he say?
3: Now come, let's wait for Michael downstairs.
0: Oh, just
3: one of the crew.
0: Michael.
3: Well, come below, sir. Oh, it's Michael. Oh,
0: dear darling. Michael! <laughs>
3: And so, ladies and gentlemen, the curtain falls on Act One of our play. In the brief minute before the curtain rises, and you learn more about the mysterious Michael. And before we get an answer to the question of what will happen to Sarah, Mr. John Conti has a question he'd like to
1: ask you. Thank you, Raj. Ladies and gentlemen, when you notice a neighbor going out of his way to be helpful and friendly, you usually feel that he's a pretty good sort of fellow, don't you? Well, when you get to know him, you're pretty sure to feel the same way about your neighborhood good golf dealer. And for the same reason. Because your good golf dealer is always ready with little extra services that you don't get everywhere. He's got a free Gulf Funny Weekly for you, for instance, something that's exclusive with Gulf. And of course, he's got that knock-proof Gulf no gasoline and that grand Gulf Pride motor oil, something else that you can get only when you see the Gulf Orange Disc. So next time you're out in your car and need gas or oil or service, give a thought to the man who helps bring the stars of the Gulf Theater into your home. The man who's always ready to make your trip pleasanter and to make your car run smoother and stop at your neighborhood good golf dealers.
3: The curtain is about to rise on the second act of tonight's play in the Gulf Screen Guild Theater starring Joan Crawford, Ronald Coleman, Lou Ayers, and Montague Love. It's three weeks later, in the country house of Sir George Packman. Lights. Music.
1: Curtains.
3: Well, you see, there's no question about Michael Farrington being dead, Sir George. The body has been recovered and identified. How is Sarah? I'm worried about her. What did the doctors say? All the usual things. Rest, time, travel. Well, if there's anything I can do... I'm afraid not. At present, there doesn't seem to be much any of us can do for
1: Sarah.
0: My father told me you said Michael was dead.
3: Sarah, please. He
0: wasn't really dead until my father told me that.
3: Sarah, let me take you home. No,
0: no, I can't go back there. Michael's not there anymore. He's not anywhere. I've lost him. I've come to you to find him again. You've got to help me.
3: What do you mean, Sarah?
0: He said that you were his friend. So you knew all about him. All the small, wonderful things I never had the chance to share.
3: But I'm afraid I don't remember all you want to know.
0: You must remember. When people... When people go away like Michael, they usually leave something behind. A letter or a book with the page turned down to show where they've stopped reading and went to sleep. Or a pen that might have written, I love you, darling. You see, I haven't anything that belonged to him. Nothing at all.
3: You think remembering will help? Perhaps it's much better to forget.
0: Well, I want to remember. I must. Tell me, did Michael ever come here? Yes. Oh, he must have. This is his kind of room, all messy and cluttered with things, men's things. Uh, which chair did he sit in? Chair.
3: Oh, uh, this one, here by the fire.
0: Oh, I might have known. Yes, his head must have rested just about here.
3: Yes, I, I think so.
0: And this pipe making curls of smoke all the way to the ceiling.
3: Yes, that, that, that was it.
0: Did he ever use this tobacco?
3: He might have.
0: And then talking. Did you ever know anyone who talked so much or so beautifully? No, never. Where did you first meet Michael?
3: Why, uh, I, I guess it must have been in, uh, in Paris.
0: Who introduced you? Uh,
3: I believe it was, uh, Colonel Astley.
0: Colonel Astley. Where is he? May I meet him?
3: No, I don't think so. Why not? Well, he's, uh, he's gone to South America.
0: Oh. Oh, but you must have had other friends in common.
3: No, not that I recall.
0: And then... Then you're my only link with Michael. I'm afraid so. We'll have to see each other very often.
3: As often as you wish, Sarah. And
0: together, perhaps we can make everyone see how really great he was.
3: Of course. Together we can do it.
0: Say that again.
3: Together we can do it. (sighs) That's
0: strange. For a moment when you said that, I... I almost felt that you were my about Uncle Michael and the rescue? No, Aunt Sarah will tell you, darling. Alan leaves out so much. Alan, Alan you must tell him about Michael when he was in Mexico. Mexico?
3: Oh, yes. Well, Michael went down there just at the beginning of the trouble.
0: Uncle Michael was the best flyer in England, Aunt Sarah. In England? Oh, he was joking. Your Uncle Michael was the greatest flyer
3: in the whole world. In laying this cornerstone of what will be the Michael Farrington home for underprivileged children, we are perpetuating the memory of a fine man, Michael Farrington. You simply got to let up. If you don't, you'll drop in your tracks. You're not yourself.
0: I'm quite all right.
3: Why not be satisfied with what you've already done for Michael? You can't live forever with a ghost.
0: There isn't anything i change. Not now. Perhaps someday.
3: Not someday. Now. This minute. Michael's been dead for more than a year. You and I are alive. There's so much ahead for both of us. Together, Sarah.
0: No, Alan, don't. Why? You're forgetting Michael.
3: There is no Michael. There's only you and I. Look
0: at me, Sarah.
3: Don't shut out everything else. No,
0: please don't.
3: Sarah. Sarah, darling. I love you.
0: Oh, Alan. Why did you say that? Now you've spoiled everything. Please go. Oh, Sarah. No, I mean it. Please go.
3: Michael in Tibet? Oh, no, in China. But you said in Brazil. You're
0: thinking of Mexico. Did
3: he ride that time? I
0: believe he flew.
3: But are you sure? I
0: think that's so.
3: Did Michael save
0: them? I'm sure he did.
3: Was it really Michael?
0: I I can't remember.
3: Can't remember?
0: No, I don't know.
3: Michael. Alan? Michael?
0: Alan! Alan, help me! Alan!
1: Job,
3: you've got to do, Harker. That's why I sent for you. But, Sir George, what can I do? It's a fixation. She's got to be shocked out of it. The doctors all agree on that. I know. I created this ghost for her, and now you want me to destroy it. Exactly. But you understand, I love Sarah. If I do what you want me to do... But if you don't do it, Harker, there's no hope for her. It's as bad as that? As bad as that. All right, I'll do it.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you came, Alan.
3: Are you, Sarah?
0: Yes, the last month's been dreadful without you.
3: Oh, I've missed seeing you too.
0: I've been so confused.
3: Well, you've been ill.
0: No, no, not ill, just... Well, I felt so alone at times, as though Michael had gone away forever, or had never been. I even walked down here to the cliff to listen to the sea and try to hear his voice.
3: Sarah, nothing's imperishable. Everything has to end. Yes,
0: I know. And now all that is ended. Everything's all right now, and Michael's back. He came back with you. Now we can talk about him and he'll speak to me again.
3: That isn't what I mean, Sarah. It's time we ended with Michael. With Michael? When you came to my rooms over a year ago, you were sick. In mind and soul. Of
0: course, but now... I was foolish
3: enough to believe I could cure you.
0: You did, Alan. No,
3: I've given you happiness, but I've nearly destroyed you.
0: If this is about Michael... It is,
3: but not the Michael you knew.
0: I don't like you when you talk like this, Alan.
3: Oh, you'll hate me when I finish. I don't want to hear. I'm afraid you must. You've got to know the real Michael instead of the one I created. There's
0: only one Michael.
3: Yes, the Michael you married. The Michael who was cheap and small. No. A scoundrel, a thief, and a murderer. No, I won't listen. He was never my friend. He hated me because I arrested him on the day he you married are you. You're lying. Michael wasn't even his it name. was. You married David Crichton, wanted by the police, but you're infatuated with Michael Farrington, no. who never lived at all. Sarah, come back! Michael! The cliff! Sarah, come back!
1: I'm so glad you came, Harper.
3: How is she? Out of danger. She's been calling for Michael. Still there? May I speak to her? I wish you would. I'll wait for you downstairs. Michael. Yes. Yes, Sarah, darling.
0: Where are you?
3: Here, close beside you.
0: You went away.
3: But I'm back.
0: Don't ever leave me again.
3: No, no, I won't. Not ever. Not if you live. You must live, darling. For me.
0: For you, Michael. Michael.
3: We've so many things to do, don't you remember? We must still drive up to Sacré-Cœur in the moonlight and look down on the whole of Paris with stars above and below us. And then? Then in the morning, driving on and on until a road sign says, Welcome to Italy or Algiers or Tibet, wherever our car runs out of gas.
0: Yes. Yes, I remember.
3: And I'll be so proud of you.
0: Will I wear the blue dress?
3: Oh, Yes. Yes, Sarah. Didn't I insist you put it on that night on the boat?
0: Yes, Michael.
3: And when you came up, you were so beautiful. Everyone envied me. What? On the deck of the steamer, darling. You remember?
0: But you didn't see the dress that night.
3: Yes, I did, Sarah. No.
0: Michael wasn't there. It was Alan who was waiting for me.
3: No, Sarah, no. You're
0: not Michael. Michael. You're Alan.
3: Yes, I'm Alan.
0: Oh, Alan. I wanted so to die to be with Michael. But when I ran toward him on the cliff, he spoke to me. Only it wasn't his voice. It was... It was your voice. You are Michael. You created him for me.
3: I had to, sir. It was torture because I loved you all the while.
0: And our song, Michael's and mine. That was yours too, wasn't it? Remember? Yes.
3: None shall part us from each other. One in love and life are we. All in all to one another. I to thou and thou to me.
0: Oh, I've been so long. It was you, always you, I needed.
3: We'll start from the beginning, Sarah. I'll make you happy again.
0: Happy. Oh, but Alan, Alan, I am happy.
2: And that was the Screen Guild Theatre with None Shall Part Us, featuring Joan Crawford, Lou Ayres. Ronald Coleman, and Montague Love. What star power? Well, that's it from me for this edition. I'm already working on the next one, so do keep your podcatchers updated. If you want instant access to over 60 more of these, plus documentaries and movie commentaries and the ebooks and all kinds of other bonuses, please do go over to patreon.com slash and sign up there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of entertainment all waiting for you there. As I said earlier, I have an idea... That might prove fun for us all. I'm actually going to try and organise a film festival in the next couple of weeks. It'll all be online, so you don't need to worry about venturing outside. You can join us for a two-day movie marathon of classics, all from the comfort of your own home, chat all day long to like-minded classic movie fans, and watch specially selected movies and entertainments from the golden age without leaving the comfort of your armchair. It'll be open to all of you, but there will be an extended bunch of screenings. In fact, a whole extra day or two of movies and chat if you're signed up as a patron. Plus, if you are signed up as a patron, then I would like you to help pick the movies yes you can help to program this movie festival if you're a co-producer details to follow but if you want to get in on the planning in the next few days then sign up at patreon.com slash secret now thank you all folks lovely to spend time with you again until we speak again do take very special care of yourselves and bye for now If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and eBooks. and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Spend less
1: time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.